Let me press to my point this morning. Our scripture in our series on Essentials, Life, Truths That Matter brings us to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I have three verses this morning, so either turn in your Bibles, in your phone, or it will be on the screen. Only three verses this morning, and this is what Paul says. He says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. And this is, this is, this is a synopsis of all that he's going to say in verse 12. It's underlined in my Bible. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Uh, in verse t- 10, when Paul uh, moves to this topic, uh, it's a contrast. He says, but you. Uh, and so obviously the word but is a contrast. So there's something that's gone before that. And whether you were here last Sunday or not, uh, it's what he's just talked about uh, in the first nine verses of 2 Timothy 3. And there's a contrast. But you, and literally the original language is intensified, but you yourself, you are contrasted from those that I've just been talking about. Um, In fact, in verse 9 that we looked at last week, The contrast is with the people who are not making progress in the faith for whatever reason. There are some that are not making progress in the faith, but you, you have carefully followed, and he's going to list some things. I believe when, even when we look to verse 12, when he says, yes, and all who desire to live godly, I believe he, in his mind, he is thinking of Timothy and all those who, lived, who desired to live godly. So even though these words were written to Timothy, they were really words for anyone, even today, who desire to live godly. And, and it's interesting, he's going to go on and he's going to list nine things. Now this is a contrast because last week we looked at 18 things that are uh, descriptions of how people will live in the last days. There was 18 of those, and that's in verses 2, 3, and 4. We won't go back, but you can can look at those. Um, Those are descriptions of how people are going to live in the last days, but you, Timothy. And in verses 10 and 11, the start of 11, he lists nine things, and I believe they are descriptions of the people who desire to live godly lives in contrast to those who have not made progress in the faith. There's a point we're going to move towards. And he lists some things. And he has said, but you have carefully followed. And he's, he's going to list these things. that You think about it, and I want you to visually see that. 
that as a disciple, not only of Jesus, but Timothy is also a disciple of Paul, uh, the phrase there is, you have walked alongside me and you have learned life from me, Timothy, but you yourself have carefully followed, and he lists these nine things. My doctrine, which was his teaching. Timothy's reading this letter going, yeah, yeah, I know what you taught. Your manner of life. And actually, in, in the original language, these are all just one word, but sometimes when we translate them in English, uh, so manner of life is your conduct. Yeah, okay. Timothy's going, yeah, no, I've, I've seen you. I've seen you live life. Your purpose. Uh, it seemed like one translation called this uh, uh, your aim in life. Uh, faith. Yeah, that's, that's my trust in an invisible God. Yes. And Timothy's going, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Long-suffering. And the word long-suffering there is a word that means to be, it's, it speaks of patience, but it means patience with people. In fact, there's going to be another word here in just a minute that's a little bit different from that. But long-suffering, that you were patient with people. My love, that you were selfless. And Timothy's going along, and uh, Paul's listing these things that are, are typical of the people who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, and he's following him. I think there's a turn, though. He gets to perseverance. It's a word we're going to have to come, come back to. Uh, but it's, it's a word that it really dots the New Testament in so many writings. Uh, maybe your translation even, and sometimes it's translated patience. Uh, Paul's used this word uh, previously already in his letter, but I, I was thinking that when James uses this letter, uh, James starts his letter and he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, it's this word, it's the same Greek word uh, for perseverance. And he, he says patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Um, it's it's hupomino in the original language. And it's, it's kind of hard for us to translate it into one word. And so James translates it translates it as patience the writer of Hebrews that I just read in Hebrews 12 to start the service uh, he translate it's translated there as endurance it's that same word when he says and let us run with endurance the race and then in verse 3 it says for consider him who endured it's this it's hupomino and so this word that we see at the end of verse 10 when he says perseverance, it is a word that can mean a patient endurance. It literally means to remain under, remain under. And the question would be, well, wait a second. When he comes in verse 10 and he's talking about my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, and then that ability to remain under it, the question becomes, what do you remain under? Invariably, in the New Testament scriptures, when this word is used, it means to remain under the circumstances of tribulation 
and persecution, adverse circumstances. Now you just have to kind of get that idea. We're going to have to come back to it at the end. It's like, wait a second, why would you remain under the circumstances of persecution, tribulation, difficulty, the opposition for the world, from the world? Um, really gets a little bit deeper, though, when we move to verse 11. And I really believe in, in Paul's mind when he says, and I don't know that he's just writing this extemporaneously. Obviously, it's inspired by the Spirit. But when he says perseverance, hupomino, you see the link. What is the next word that he uses? Persecutions. And then he says afflictions. We're pressing to a point. That's, that's the eighth and ninth word that describes the one who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus. We get through about six of them and we do them pretty good. Love and all those things. It's like, yeah, that's right, that's right. Got a little bit squirmy when we got to perseverance, if you really understand that, because that's related to what he says next, persecutions and afflictions. The thing that struck me is just I read that, is all of a sudden there's these singular words that describe it. So all the words in verse 10 were singular. Doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, singular words. All of a sudden when you get to verse 11, it's not singular. It's not persecution, it's persecutions. It's not affliction, it's afflictions. It's plural. Um, in the New Testament, perseverance is invariably connected to persecutions and afflictions. Persecutions are what the world does to us. Afflictions literally is a word that means sufferings. It's, there's, a, there's a base word there, and it means sufferings. And if you've been here, he's already mentioned suffering several times. Chapter 1, verse 8, 1, 12, 2, 3. Paul, he's already in, in interjected suffering, suffering. Um, when Paul gets to this point in the letter, this is a statement of reality. This is Paul telling Timothy, this is the way it's going to be. And that's why he's going to say then in verse 12, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, if you're going to live a godly life, and, and that may be, quite honestly, I've thought about that. That doesn't settle real well with the American church. It doesn't settle real well with me. But the gospel that is proclaimed in the New Testament whether we like it or not, is a gospel of suffering. It is not a gospel of prosperity. And I don't have time to go there this morning. But I, I believe our, attendance, our tendency 
in America is we would rather talk about what God is going to do for me than what it's going to cost me to follow Jesus Christ. Brother David in Africa, huge deal. Uh, yeah, there is a gospel among certain churches in Africa, but it is a gospel of prosperity. David, there you are. Okay. You're moving around on me, man. Why don't you sit in your spot? Um, the gospel that we encounter in the New Testament is a gospel of suffering. Hmm. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he goes through the Beatitudes, I think most excellent way, y'all probably come to this. I don't remember where y'all are in the Beatitudes. I guess, I guess it's the eighth beatitude. After talking about poor in spirit, mourn, weak, hunger, thirst, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, boom. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Even when you read the words of Paul, I don't have time, but you, you see in, the, in, in 2 Timothy 3.12 as, is as clear a statement as Paul makes, but there are very similar statements that he makes recorded in Acts, but also in his other letters. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The gospel of the New Testament is a gospel of suffering. And there was something that Paul was communicating to Timothy. It was a statement of reality. It was the experience that Paul had had and found himself in. Paul is in prison, facing death. It should not surprise Paul because Jesus' life was not a life of prosperity. It was a life of suffering that ultimately led him to the cross. If you, in fact, this word for afflictions is a word that is used many times to talk about, well, it's the word we get passion from. Remember when the movie came out, The Passion of the Christ? Oh, The Passion of the Christ. Oh, The Passion of the Christ. No, it's, it's, it's in the classic sense of the word passion, which means suffering. Uh, it's, it's that word right here. The New Testament gospel is a gospel of suffering. It was true for Jesus. And when Paul followed Jesus, it became true for Paul. Because Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Where was Jesus going? He was going to the cross. I understand. 
There's an empty tomb on the other side of the cross. But hear me, church. There's only an empty tomb when you have gone to the cross. Paul's example was one that Timothy had seen. And so in verse 11, he says, persecutions and afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. If we go back to the book of Acts, well, uh, Antioch, Iconium, Iconium, and Lystra are the home region of Timothy. It was where Paul first planted the gospel. He's, his hometown is Lystra, which is the last place he lists. And before Timothy ever began to follow Paul, there was a story. And it's, it's told in Acts. Here's what happens in Antioch. Uh, Acts 13.50 But the Jews stirred up the devout and pro- prominent women and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. Okay, so he goes to Iconium. 14.5 of Acts. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra. That's the hometown of Timothy. So what happens when he gets to Lystra? Acts 14, 19. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitude, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now that's Acts 14. In Acts 16, it says that Timothy began to follow Paul. But Timothy was there. So when Paul in 2 Timothy says, you know the persecutions I've been through and afflictions that happened to me, and really that was just the start. Ever since you have known me, Timothy, you have known the persecutions and the afflictions. He's setting him up for what's coming. What is ahead? But in 2 Timothy 3, 11, he says, What persecutions I endured. That's not exactly the same word as perseverance that was used in verse 10, but they are very similar. It means to uh, bear under as opposed to remain under. It's, It's a synonymous term but it relates to perseverance. It's a synonym. Uh, The essential, and that's what we've been looking at in the book of 2 Timothy, what are the essentials? The essential that we come to in these three verses is the essential of living in perseverance. Living in perseverance. It is one of the essentials to the Christian life if we are a follower of Jesus Christ. Because of what he's going to say in verse 12, that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
What is the call? Always in the scripture to persecution and afflictions. Remain under. Persevere. Don't walk away. But there is more. There is more than just the idea of remaining under the persecution, the tribulations, the opposition. I believe when you, you, you say, well, what does he mean to remain under? It's, it's, it's like, why? Why would we remain under such adverse opposition? It's not just that we remain under the persecutions, but here it is, church. We also remain under our commitment and calling to Christ. That's why I stay there. Because the road that I walk is the, is the road that, that Jesus walked, that Paul walked, that Timothy would be called to walk. Why would I stay under those persecutions? Because I am staying true to the commitment and the calling to Christ. And you say, why? Why would we stay under that? For the simple reason that Christ deserves that from us because of what he has done for us and that the cause is worth it. The, what Paul is teaching Timothy is that the cause of Christ will only be furthered when people are willing to persevere in the midst of persecutions and afflictions. Otherwise, every time it gets hard and the world pushes back on us, then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna remove ourselves from under that. When you remove yourself underneath those adverse circumstances, you have also removed yourself from under your commitment and calling to Christ because he called us to that American church, Daryl Smith. Because all who would desire to live godly will suffer persecution. There is a price that must be paid. The essential is living in perseverance. Now, I want to... I begin to get to the point at the end of verse 11 Paul says and out of them all the Lord delivered me the Lord delivered me out of all those persecutions let me just give you a little reality check this morning the circumstances that Paul was in, there was no earthly deliverance. Paul dies. There was no earthly deliverance because the reality is, is someday all of us under some circumstance or another, we're leaving this world. It is the reality and there was something related to that that Paul was pressing. And I, I want to end with this. I, I want you to understand that, yes, these are three verses that we take today and the early church would have taken. But these words were written to Timothy. And there was something very pointed that Paul was trying to teach Timothy in this moment. That is the, that's the immediate context. That's who Paul is writing to. This is not a letter he wrote to the churches. First and foremost, it is a letter he wrote 
to a young man that had begun to follow him closely as his disciple. Let me paint you a picture this morning to make this final point. Uh, my brother David was a competitive cyclist back in the day. Ah, there's some funny stories I'd like to tell. Don't have time to be funny this morning. Uh, and, I, and I called my brother yesterday. I said, David, I need, I need to make sure I'm, I'm on base here with this. One of the things that competitive cyclists are always battling is wind drag or resistance. And so, I mean, obviously that's why I can't be a bicyclist because there's certain shorts you have to wear to be competitive in, you know. Gary, I'm just looking at you just to try to keep from any other awkward moment. I don't know why. Yeah. You know, I think these guys, let's just be honest, I think they probably shaved their legs. No, I'm serious. I didn't ask my brother that, but I'm thinking, David, I, there was that phase, right? Yeah. Okay. No, it's not going to happen. But you are trying to cut down, if you're a competitive cyclist, on any wind resistance or drag that you have whether that's clothes, whether that's shaving. The other thing that comes into play in the midst of racing, and this is true for NASCAR, is drafting off of the cyclist in front of you. And I asked my brother about that, and he goes, yeah. He says, the studies show that if you are behind someone and they are the one hitting the wind, uh, that, and you're behind them, uh, in, their, in their draft, I don't know what the term would be. He said it takes 20% less energy when you're behind someone else as opposed to being in, in front. And so there's a strategy there. In fact, there's a team approach in certain races that, you know, there's going to be a guy that's out in front and he's pushing it and the, the other people are conserving their energy behind that. And I, I know that's kind of a long thought, but I want you to get that picture in mind because that's what came to my mind. Two points. There is only wind resistance when you are moving forward. Now, I say that. Yeah, move beyond the cyclist to the Christian realm now, okay? So I, I'm not teaching you to be a competitive cyclist. I don't know anything other than what I've just told you. There's only wind resistance when you are moving forward. If you want to eliminate the resistance, all you have to do is just stop. When the world resists us, that's what they want us to do. They want us to stop and they want us to be silent. Every cyclist in a race is going to experience wind resistance to one way or the other. In fact, the faster you ride, the more wind resistance there is. And I think that's where Paul is. He was the point man. And he was riding, riding like, <laughs> I don't know what, yeah, some phrase there. Like a crazy man. There's a lot of wind resistance because he's, he's running the point. And the reality, church, is that the world will always be an opposing force against living godly. And if you think otherwise, you haven't really delved into the New Testament. The gospel is not about your comfort. 
It's about the glory of God. And the, God, the glory of God trumps your comfort and your prosperity in your life. And we only have a certain amount of time here, and the scriptures always run the race in endurance. The second point I want to make is that the leader always has a greater price to pay. In cycling world, to be the guy in the front that's hitting the wind, not drafting off of anybody, it's not just that the guys behind you, it requires 20% less effort for them. <laughs> no, think about the math. What that means is it requires 20% more effort from you. Paul was a leader. He was calling Timothy to be a leader. And what Paul was saying, there's a price to be paid. Actually, what Paul is setting Timothy for, and this is, I thought of this imagery in a race, and a lot of times there's teams and there's a guy that runs for a while in front, but after a while, one of these guys from behind is going to go, man, I've got to relieve you, I've got to come up. Right? And I've got to take the point now. Do you understand what Paul is teaching Timothy at this point? Timothy, I'm about to drop out of the race. My race is about over, and I've been running point, and you've been drafting off of me, son. But the day's coming. I need you to know there's going to be some wind resistance, and particularly when you're the front man, it's going to be more. And this is just a statement of reality. But here it is, church. In the Christian realm, in the church, and in all of areas of our life, there has to be someone who sets the pace and makes the sacrifice for those who are coming behind them. There's no way around it. That's the spiritual truth that Paul is impressing upon Timothy. This is a reality check. It's going to cost you. Primarily, these verses were written to Timothy, whom Paul was saying, Son, it's your time, because they're about to put me to death, and you've been drafting off of me, and it's your day, and I need you to step up, and you just need to know. I want you to think in your own life, in your own life, in whatever area you have been given a place of leadership, whether that's work, whether that's in your home, whether that's in the church, in a particular ministry, whatever that is. What is your place that Christ has given you? Actually, first I would say to you, what is it that Jesus has done for you? What is, what is your commitment because of what Christ has done for you? And are you willing to make the sacrifices necessary to battle into the opposition that is in front of us? There will always be opposition, but 
We've made a commitment to Christ because he died and became our Savior. And there, so it's the reason we do it is because of our commitment, but also because of our calling that Christ placed us somewhere. And whether it's in your home as a parent or it's at work, within the church, in a ministry, whatever it is, for many of us, it's like, no, I've called you to this. This is my place that I've given you. And you need to understand the reality is, is there's going to be opposition. Your only other choice is to say, I refuse to remain under that. And the kingdom will always require people to press forward in the midst of persecution, opposition, tribulation, that the kingdom of God will be built and the cause of Christ will be furthered. There's no other way around it. There is a price to be paid to follow Jesus. We're going to get to it in chapter 4. I know today's a pretty dark day. <laughs> I just ask you to die. Jesus did. I didn't. Don't die for me. Paul's going to come. I think it's actually going to be Byron Sunday. I'm going to be gone that Sunday. Byron, you might as well look at it. Chapter 4, 6, 7, and 8. You're scheduled. He's going to get the glory Sunday, you know. We're going to see the crown of righteousness, you know, to all those who loved his appearing, yes. But while we are here, know that there is a price to be paid. The gospel is a go gospel of suffering, not so much a gospel of prosperity. Amen. You don't have to say amen if you don't believe it. It's true whether you say amen or not. Sorry. That's all I have today. It's already after 12. But the great thing is I've already made my announcements. I'm not asking you if you're online to stick around any longer. Uh, why don't you stand? I'm going to lead us in prayer. If you have a decision to make for Christ, I'm going to be at the front. If you'd like to visit with me about anything in your life, pray with me. I'll be here. You can reach out to a staff member. Um, there was one other announcement I was supposed to make, and I'm... Anyhow, we'll send out a message, okay? Let me pray. Father, today we thank you that Jesus loved us so much that he endured the cross. And Father, I pray that uh, we would pay the price that is required uh, to press into the world with the gospel. And Father, we do thank you for the hope that we have of a crown of righteousness and a place where all things will be made right. Uh, that the day will come if we've run the race with endurance that the master will say well done my good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your Lord so father we thank you for that we pray that we would live lives that are worthy to our commitment and our calling and we pray it in Jesus name amen